Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. derailment in East Palestine. Mis- mistake for him not to go? Should he go now? Is it too late? He should go. Uh, th- this is a, an extraordinary event, not just for the people of East Palestine, but it, it has come to stand for something bigger in the country. And Democrats do have something to say to mm-hmm. large forces, large corporate forces exploiting people in rural America. They, they're they losing on the cultural issues, but as Bernie Sanders and some others have demonstrated, they can connect on that. And it, it, he left that trick on the table for Donald Trump to come in and say, I'm your guy, even though it was the Trump administration which changed the regulations. A little bit of more Marjorie Taylor Greene and a few more, you're going to have a lot of Republicans running our way. <laughs> Isn't she amazing? <laughs> Oof. Ours is the reason she was, she was very specific. I shouldn't digress, probably. But she, she, I've read. She, she was very specific recently, saying that a mom, a poor mother who lost two kids to fentanyl, that, that I killed her sons. Well, the interesting thing is that fentanyl they took came during the last administration. <laughs> really? This is how you speak about the death of my sons? And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 3rd of March, year of our lore, 2023. That's a great intro right there. Just laughing about kids dying. I mean, that's, that's what we got right now. That's the world we live in. That's how he can act because, you know, we, we don't seem to fucking have any standards in our media. Today, we're going to go down the rabbit hole. And the rabbit hole is not going to be pretty. Um, I want to start with the off topic first, and then we'll close on politics. But, um, you know, as stated, this is going to be our Dylan Mulvaney. And this is my new toy right here. Got a little clicker. Hopefully it will work. Um, it's supposed to be able to let me go and um, do slides and stuff. So we're going to play with it right now. And let me get to the slideshow like so. And that's our first right there, boys and girls. I, I, it just, I love starting the show with the CNN. Now tell me one of these things is not like the other. Can you tell which one it is? Yeah, this is a Democrat. Because we didn't enter the fact that it's a Democrat who had 56 counts of child porn. That, that's cool. That, that's really good. That, that's just really good. Good stuff. And then, oh, it's not going to work. 
Well, it, it doesn't work. I, I, I just derailed trying to do it. We're going to have to use the old finger. That kind of sucks. But I wanted to uh, be able to do slide, slide clicks. It's, it's not going to work. Um, so there, there's our first. And then before we get into another political thing, um, I, I wanted to show this. That's how they make dicks. Rest of their life, that's that's their arm. They, they took the muscles away. And somehow that's that's good. That's good stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that that's normal. But um something happened, so we gotta jam it in, then we'll get back on topic, because I, I gotta play this. The FBI was interviewed in reference to um, of course. The double standards that we live in in our world um, between left and right and the application of law. So I'm going to play a Brett Bear interview and then a, se- a segment from Tucker with Josh Hawley. And I want you to really think, could a conservative administration get away with what they're doing? All right, so let's talk about by the book. Mark Houck, Pennsylvania pro-life activist, arrested at his home in front of his family for an alleged violation of the Freedom of Access of Clinics Act, alleged incident which he was protesting in front of an abortion clinic. He was recently acquitted of all charges at trial. The show of force for that arrest, that decision to use that force, was that by the book? Those decisions are made as they should be by the commanders on the ground in the field office who have the expertise about when to conduct operations safely and securely for the safety of everybody involved. And to my knowledge, those processes were all followed in this case. Yeah, I mean, historically, FBI protocol is that a defendant has, if he has no criminal history, is not believed to be violent or pose a threat to public safety, that he or she is permitted to self-surrender rather than subject um, dynamic execution of an arrest warrant. And here's what I'm talking about is the dual system. You know, there's that for a pro-life activist, but not that for a Black Lives Matter protester who maybe torches a federal building um, over the summer. So that disparity, that dichotomy, is what sticks in people's mind. I understand that people have their opinions. Uh, all I can tell you is that we have one standard. Yesterday, facing off against Mike Lee of Utah, DOJ has announced charges against 34 individuals for blocking access to or vandalizing abortion clinics. And there have been over 81 reported attacks on pregnancy centers, 130 attacks on Catholic churches since the leak of the Dobbs decision, and only two individuals have been charged. So how do you explain this disparity? We apply the law equally. Um, I will say you are quite right. There are many more prosecutions with respect uh, to the um, um, blocking of the uh, um, of the abortion centers, but that is generally because they are those actions are taken in, uh, with photography at the time um, uh, during the daylight, and uh, seeing the person who did it is uh, quite easy. Um, the, those who are attacking the pregnancy resources centers, uh, which is a, a horrid thing to do, are doing this at night um, in the dark. Okay. In case you didn't follow that, we quote, apply the law equally. We just can't for some reason manage to investigate crimes that occur after dark. It's the sundown rule, well known in legal circles. 
It's hard to believe that Merrick Garland actually said that in a Senate hearing until you remember that, of course, he will say anything, and he does. We're not persecuting Christians, he'll tell you. Then he'll send the FBI after Mark Houck. Houck is a pro-life lay preacher who was praying outside an abortion clinic when a pro-abortion extremist harassed his 12-year-old son. So as any father would, Houck shoved the man out of his son's face. That's what happened. It was not a crime. We know that because no local prosecutor pursued it. And it is certainly, without question, not a federal felony to push a lunatic out of your 12-year-old son's face. But under Merrick Garland, it is now a felony. Almost a year after that happened, Garland sent armed men to arrest Mark Houck in front of his family. On September 23rd, about 6.45 in the morning, uh, that, that's uh, when those 20 so-called so agents, full SWAT gear, uh, heavily armored vests, ballistic shields, helmets, uh, battering ram, uh, banged on my door. Yesterday, Josh Hawley asked Garland to explain that behavior, the utterly indefensible totalitarian behavior. And Merrick Garland, of course, in a soft-spoken way, was delighted to defend it. Let's take a look at the hardened criminals that your Justice Department sent these armed agents to go terrorize on that morning. Here they are. Here they are at mass. Here's the seven children with Mr. Houck and his wife. He has offered to turn himself in. And this is who you go to terrorize. You are the attorney general. Give me your answer. Do you think that it was objectively reasonable and they followed your guidelines in sending 20 to 30 armed agents to terrorize these people? Yes or no? The facts I have, which are those presented by the FBI, are not consistent with your description. So you think it was reasonable? I'm saying the facts are not as you describe. You use an unbelievable show of force with guns that I just note liberals usually decry. We're supposed to hate long, long guns and assault style weapons. You're happy to deploy them against Catholics and innocent children. How is that okay? How can you have two applications of the law? I mean, I, I'm seriously asking, how? How is that okay? You arrested over 700 or 900 some odd people for J6. Some of them who just walked in the building. They didn't do any violence. They were just in the building and they trespassed. And we'll see today in our This is America, because I'm saving most of the politics for uh, Sunday show. Literally, Will Carlisle, they have all these journalists, and I air quote, that are sedition hunters. They have a hashtag. They're butthurt that more people haven't been arrested. But we're arresting nobody. We're going to pro-life houses and raiding with AR. I love that line from Holly because he's spot on. You hate ARs, but somehow an AR is good to go now. Is that what we're saying? Hmm. So... Last time, we had black dudes who had anal seepages, so they needed maxi pads. Now we're packing fudge with Hershey. My name is Faye Johnstone. I'm the executive director of Wisdom to Action. We can create a world where everyone is able to live in public space as their honest and authentic selves. See the woman changing how we see the future at Hershey's Canada. This is United in the picture. We'll play the video in a second because they're just so proud that they have 
an LGBT airplane. The whole crew is gay. You know, I'm not being a trans homophobe, whatever. I don't care how you fuck. I just want you to fly the plane. Then we got our number one people love this dude chick. And this popped up in my feed after seeing comments misgendering her at the Grammys. This was BuzzFeed. You expect it. Carl, is that not? What is playing? Shut up. But then came in my feed people. Facial feminization surgery. If you need a facial feminization surgery, surgery, no, I'm not drunk. Uh, you're not a girl. But this, this is so in-depth. We got glamour shots. Glamour shots. I mean, my beautiful wife will never have glamour shots. This dude does. So here is the latest out of the dude. And once again, I'm going to play three segments by Dylan Mulvaney. And then this is the point. I'm not, it's not him. He has nothing to do with this. This is, this is where we're going and how we're going, and how dangerous it is that we're going here. And when you're done with the three, you're going to hear him, or a guy, excuse me, and I don't even know who the fuck he is. He nails it. Hi. Okay, do you remember months ago there was this dream house that I tried to buy and I got outbid and I didn't end up getting it? Well, I'm in a new place now, but there was a picture on the wall of the house that looked exactly like me and I finally found it and I put it up in my new house. Does it still kind of look like me? I'm so excited. I just felt like I owed you an update on that painting. Um, Even though months had gone by, I'm going to give you a tour of the place. We're still putting it together, but it's looking really good. And I'm headed to New York tomorrow for um, my big day 365 show. We're starting rehearsals next week. And I miss you. I feel like we haven't, you know, been doing this as much, but just know that I love you. Okay. I miss you. Okay. How are you? To me, this is blackface. So, oh my God, you, you can't say that. You don't understand the plight of black people. You dumbasses that don't know history don't know the plight of women. Don't tell me that women haven't been oppressed. So this is woman face. History and age. You talk about the best you're ever going to look, Dylan. You're right. It's the best you're ever going to look because age is going to be a bitch. He's fucking spot on. That's a woman. 
That's a woman. That's not a woman. I could put on a wig and a dress that doesn't make me a woman. And that's what's so insulting about this. They're doing a one-year show for this fucking freak. 365 of Girlhood Show, and you're probably wondering, Dylan, what is this? What can we expect? How do we get tickets? Well, let me fill you in. So I started a plan for day 365 back in November, and I knew that I wanted it to be more than just some party. Flash forward to a team of Broadway producers meeting with me, and we came up with this epic full-on musical event with singing and an orchestra and comedy and special guests. And a lot of you don't know this, but I toured in a Broadway musical before I transitioned. And I can't think of a better way than to celebrate day 365 than being the first time I'm on stage as a woman. And here's where you come in, is being live streamed, gorgeously live streamed, and tickets are in my bio. And the question is, are there in-person tickets? And the answer is no, because the room is so small that there will just be me and the cameras, some of my loved ones, a few trans people. So that's why we went the live streaming route. It would mean the world to me if you bought a ticket. Um, they're $5 each and all the profits go to the Trevor Project, um, which provides support for LGBTQ youth. So it's a really good cause. And I'm just trying to raise as much money as possible. So even if you can't make it that night, buying a ticket would help. Um, and this way you can watch it from anywhere in your time zone with your family or in your pajamas, or maybe you get a group of friends together and you get all dolled up. I mean, the possibilities are endless, but this is just, it's my dream come true. And I really want to share this with you. Um, so let me know if you have any questions and I love you. They're selling tickets and merchandise. Merchandise. He's a grifter. And this is everywhere. You can't shake your dick without seeing these people. But they're the most oppressed people in the world. They're so fucking abused. They have no rights. They're being murdered in the street. Trevor Project with all, they're all committing suicide. And why do I get fired up about it? Is it because of Dylan Mulvaney? I don't give a fuck if Dylan Mulvaney is a leprechaun unicorn with eight dicks coming out of his face or eight vaginas, I guess, in his case. Don't care. Don't give no fucks. That's what bothers me. Every time we go down this rabbit hole, who is getting hurt? Kids. Who is forcing it on kids? Adults. It's adults getting gratification by getting acceptance from children about their life choices. And what pisses me off is I should have done this podcast because... Some of you listen to Ben Shapiro. God damn, I copy him, but I'm not. I make my own damn show, and then I have it in the books, and then I listen to the day before Ben Shapiro's show because I listen to him every once in a while, and I'm like, oh, fuck, it's the same damn show because he went down Hershey's and all this shit. But I had this all put together the other day, but I decided to wave off and save it for this weekend for 
the anniversary, which is tomorrow, of seven years on the show. Because this is what the show used to be, just kind of fun and joking. But it can't be fun and joking. It's no longer full fucking fun and joke and happy-go-lucky. This is a crisis. Here's just two videos to show you. Just two. I could play a hundred. Thank you. Oops. Go ahead. Hi, my name's Knox Ajak. Uh, I'm 11 years old, and I go to Wyndham Middle School. I'm a sixth grader. I was in the library, and this book was on a stand. I'd like to read you a page. My back over my hips as I ask if we should take off take our clothes off and he's saying yes before I finish my sentence he's pulling off my t-shirt laughing when I can't undo his shirt buttons he's undoing my belt I'm reaching into his bedside drawer for a condom we're kissing again we're rolling over obviously you can see where this is going I don't know if it's because we're feeling especially emotional or just tired or these past couple of weeks have been too much but this reminds me so much of the first time we had sex we were both fucking terrified, and the whole thing was kind of terrible because we didn't know what we were doing. But it was good too, so good, because we were a mess of emotions, and we were scared and excited, and everything felt new. So this sort of thing, this sort of feels like that. Nick touches me like he's scared that any minute. Now, this book was at my middle school, and it was on a stand. When I rented it out to show my dad it, uh, the librarian asked if I wanted more and if I wanted a graphic novel version. Yeah, one of them was corrupt. But you get the point with just one. Just one! Why is that in a library? Why is a librarian saying I'll give you more of that about two boys fucking? I guarantee if that kid went in and asked for a penthouse, he wouldn't get it. I want to see some good butt-fucking between a man and a woman. Oh, we're not showing that. We're not having books on that. That's disgusting. You're not old enough for that. But if it's gay... Oh, man, we're on this thing. We're fucking 100% on it. We're on it all day. I, I, and to prove the point, here's a girl, I think, who is talking about her pronouns, and how she changes her pronouns monthly, and how it's important, and once again a teacher talking about how they get gratification from children and how they push it on children. In January, February, March, how amazing it is to be the queer representation I did not have and so many people do not have when they were kids. I mean, I am a teacher. I am not your standard teacher. No. I mean, I've actually had quite a few kids tell me I look like a guy, which for me, that's actually kind of a compliment. I'm not sure how. I'm still thinking all of that. But being able to show these kids that being who they are, loving who they are, being part of who they are, showing everyone who they are, is the best thing that they could do for themselves. I mean, I tell these kids to call me mom at school because I say that I am the school mom. I want them to be able to trust me, to come to me, you know.
be able to feel like I'm not just someone who's going to give them good or bad grades, but like someone they can actually talk to, someone they can, yeah, blah, blah, words, can confide to. And it's the greatest thing I could have ever asked to do in my life. It's all about them. It's all about them. I get my gratification from children. Because I had a hard life. You know, we used to be a country that cared about pedophilia. But right off the bat of this show, I'm showing you people that are basically pedos. And that if you're a Democrat pedo, CNN doesn't give a fuck. They only care about Republican pedos. Later on, we have teachers actually talking about the sexualization of children. And that this next clip we're going to play is Joy Reid bashing about the uh, bill that went down in Tennessee that doesn't ban drag. It just says you can't do it in front of children and there'll be no drag story hours because that's what the constituency of Tennessee wants. The news is going to show 12 people, 20 people protesting. A lot of people in Tennessee, we're almost 5 million. Yeah, we don't want our kids getting brainwashed by you fucks. And Hayes doing a podcast where they say a four-year-old can pick their gender. Republicans in Tennessee are moving full speed ahead in their quest to undo the thing they hate the most, the 20th century. With Governor Bill Lee signing a bill today that would restrict drag performances. If Governor Lee knew the history that Republicans didn't want you to learn, he'd know that drag is an art form that goes back literally centuries. It's been around since Shakespeare. But in their zeal to turn back the clock, they're also showing their ignorance about the history they don't want their own children to learn either. Tennessee's history of brutal lynchings. Like the people's grocery lynching in Memphis 131 years ago today when a white mob stormed the Shelby County Jail and viciously lynched three black men. The murder prompted a friend of the three murdered men, journalist Ida B. Wells, to begin her campaign to chronicle the horrors of lynching. Which is in providing accessible health care to trans patients. And I asked her what, what those consultations are like. It's a great question. It's the question that everyone wants to talk about is, is how can we let a 10-year-old, an 11-year-old make a decision about this, something so momentous. And it's tough. But what I would say to people is, yeah, I didn't know a lot of things when I was 10 or 12 or 20. Um, I didn't know my sexuality. I didn't know if I wanted to have kids or not. I didn't know some huge decisions about major life things. But I did know what gender I was. I think it's the same as for a lot of these children, not all of them, but many children. Parents bring them in and say, oh, we've known that, that she's a girl since she was four. Hmm. And the child knows that, the parents know that. Many of the cases are absolutely straightforward. Everybody knows that this person is a girl. She just needs some medical assistance to, to become a woman. Um, some cases are more complicated, but in a lot of cases, it's pretty simple. No. No, they can't. No. This is Planned Parenthood. Masturbation. All that shit. No. No, no, I say no. And why I bash Mulvaney and why I made a big deal about it is because the statistics we'll talk about. It is out of control. It's affecting young girls the worst. And it's mainlined. And this, you're going to see 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 vignettes. 
That was a search on Twitter. I didn't do lives of TikTok. I did a search on Twitter, drag queen story hour. We got a problem, Houston. Hey, malcontent, what's the best way to teach kids to read? I don't know, shouldn't it be the responsibility of the teachers? Of course not. Ah, uh, probably the parents then. Nah, don't be stupid. We need people from the community to read to them. Ah, uh, you mean like get the fire service in to read to the kids and put in some messages about fire safety? No, actually I had in mind adult entertainers. You know, people who have always performed their act in age-restricted clubs whose jokes and punchlines are full of innuendo and smut, and who wear costumes and makeup to accentuate and parody female sexuality. Drag queens, that's who should be reading books to kids. I know there's little babies here, but cheers to you, cheers to me, cheers to the ones that lick us where we pay. Yeah! An ulterior motive? Nah, you don't know what you're talking about, mate. You must be one of these far right-wing bigots. Book your drag queen story hour today. We do a lot of LGBTQ books, um, also about gender. For me, I think Drag Queen Story Hour is just such a natural fit. It's like one of those ideas that's just so good that I'm shocked that no one had thought of it sooner. It's just really been obvious that there was a need for this in our community. Drag queens are just here to entertain. We can read, we're intelligent, like we, um, we are harmless. And I just hope that, you know, moving forward, it kind of just like stretches those imaginations a little bit more to continue normalizing it and you know they haven't been baked into you know society's norms and expectations so different is special i am a school teacher currently teaching kindergarten oh i'm also a drag performer <laughs> so drag queen story time it's just a wonderful time for me when you think about it really bringing drag performers Watch where you walk, you're 
touch my fucking property, Jip. I read to kids in drag for a nonprofit called Drag Queen Story Hour. Drag Queen Story Hour uses drag to promote literacy, teach about queer lives, and spark kids' imagination. But programs like ours are being under attack. Right-wing politicians are spreading dangerous conspiracy theories about and inciting violence against drag performers and queer communities everywhere. This is part of a coordinated campaign to deny the rights of queer people who already endure disproportional rates of suicide and homelessness, and they're trying to legislate us out of existence. And as much as I would want you to donate and repost and like, really think about a vision for the world where every child can be safe, fully expressing who they are, and being proud of it. My baby's first brag show. None of that is to better children, help children. Sorry, I've been drinking this new thing and it's working. My stomach's been a lot better. I didn't even walk today. It's first day in forever since last May. I've had like maybe three days I haven't walked since last May. But today I actually woke up at 4.30 with no stomach symptoms. Wow. Or not stomach, abdominal, whatever the fuck this is. But... It is so rampant and mainstream and pushed by corporations, institutions, the media, and the Democratic Party. And then we get in the numbers. And I know we've covered this in the past. But they outright say it. How this tool of the left has blown up. It's just blown up and made... I mean, here's just some of the videos that they're showing on this article. Hold on a second. Let me see if I can unmute Clarify. it. This is what the Northern Irish accent sounds like. Uh, maybe that's not it. Um, they here. Here's another one. Here, here's a guy just fucking losing his shit. Everyone, I'm back with another daily scream. And if you can tell by the smile on my face, it's a good one. So oh, my. God in heaven, what is wrong with us? What What is wrong? A haven for queer and questioning kids. No, it's not a haven. This is where you prayed. Here's another video. I just feeling a lot of feelings. Some might call it a, a, a crisis almost internally. Is That's a completely a dude. Ah, Okay. A completely a dude. It's really, 
because they have. Well, I'm gonna let me capture this video. Th- this is. See, like, if it was just this easy to look, fucking, and I'm back to, bro. If it was like this easy to just like look, fuck you. Like that's not on purpose. That's not there. That that filter's not there just just for shits and grins. It's not for fun. Five TikTokers that making a difference for TikTok youth. And when you go through this, I watched all these videos. I'm not going to subject you to even that person. They're brainwashing. And then you find out these statistics that are just scared. 19.7. The Guardian, not a liberal uh, conservative bastion. An explosion. What is behind the rise and questioning their gender identity? And you get in this article, according to study commissioned by NHS England, 10 years ago there were just under 250 referrals. Now there's 5,000. And then you break into the big stats, which we covered a long time ago. So these are new. But nothing has changed. Nothing has changed in any of this. In this chart, evidence of large increase female identifying as trans, 2016. Look at those numbers. 2009's the low blue. Now we have that many. I'm going to slow down my roll on the scrolling. You get into the statistics of the breakdown. Look what's happening to girls. Travis Stock Clinic shows significant overall increase of gender dysphoric minors going to gender clinics, 69%. The chart from Kaiser Pernetti offers a look at cross-section of the policy. The population. This is just scary. Three to nine, 36 percent. Three to nine, where most of us were playing with Legos. And Joe Biden, there's a very small amount. Below shows the increase in New Zealand. This is New Zealand. Most of us couldn't point to it on a map. That wasn't somebody scribbling. That's not the monkeys in the commercial. This is Western countries. Look at the increases. It's it's by design. Of natal females is happening in Western countries in general and clinics that treat youth. Children may uh, 65% UK survey trans results because it's not just us. I didn't grab that chart, but do you need it? And transgender teen and psychic epidemic. <clears throat> this is from Taylor Francis online. You break this thing down 
and it shows that everything is increasing. Gender clinic, race, sex ratio reversal, the picture they have here. Let me see if I can pull it up. Sorry, I got a screen cap, but it won't take it. It's all female. It's just, it's all female. We are destroying our children. I don't care how you do it, how you stack it up. Even the fucking New York Times. Report reveals sharp rise in transgender young people in the U.S. New estimates led uh, bird on CDC health survey point to a stark generational shift. Percentage of 13 uh, estimated. Okay. Analysis relying on government health survey conducted from 2017 to 20 estimated 1.4% of 13 to 17 year olds. 1.3% of 18 to 24 are transgender. It was 0.06 in 2016. Estimates by age. Ages of teens, adults, or transgender. 43% of transgender population is young kids now. Study found that people 13 to 25 account for a disproportionately large share of the transgender population, while younger teenagers were just 7.6% of the total U.S. population. They make up 18% of transgender people. Older adults had a disproportionately small share, though 62% of the total population, only 47% of the transgender people were 25 to 64. And while 20% of Americans are over 65, the age group makes up only 10% of total numbers of transgender people. They are estimating 150,000 transgender teens in the country. With the inclusion of new high school survey data, they have gone to 300,000 transgender teens. And it's 100% pushed by the Democratic Party TikTok, social media, corporations that think we aren't going to buy their chocolate unless we have a dude with really bad teeth saying her, she. Here's just some of the pictures. Because it starts in our schools. That's a lesbian complaining because all her fucking, all her kickbacks were dudes. A thread by a teacher. Sometimes in education, a student hits you with, 
what can only be described as a curveball. In my case, as a provider of consent, awareness, and sex positivity-oriented courses, I often find myself getting pulled towards some rather tricky and politically fractious subjects. One common conflict is where my responsibility to teach students responsible self-conduct within the law clashes with the importance of teaching assertiveness and agency within their sexual relations. The tensions often flare up. We were discussing age of consent law and an ever-changing close-in-range exempt some other jurisdictions. I apply often here when explaining the topic of sex relations among minors and between minors and adults is, how is it abuse if I wanted it? This is, of course, a reasonable question for a young person to ask and shows a precocious and admirable degree of critical thinking. The answer to this question is a deep breath that sex between a minor and adult is intrinsically abusive, nor innately it isn't intrinsically abusive or innately harmful, but socially inappropriate in Christian America. What Christian America? Here's three random Random sound bites. A show that was getting great ratings went totally woke. Now it doesn't. We're not allowing all the pill-popping abortions. And Monopoly is racist. Hey. Listen up. These are good. Liberal snowflake politicians want to take down a Confederate statue. Not today, boys. So grab a gun. Get to know it. Tonight, abortion rights activists are waiting on what could be the most consequential ruling on abortion access since Roe v. Wade was overturned. A judge in Texas could decide to pull a popular abortion pill off the market nationwide. Ali Vitali has more. A new fault line in the battle over abortion access. This one centered on the so-called abortion pill. Both sides bracing for a Texas judge's decision that could restrict access to one of two drugs used to induce medicated abortion. Mifepristone is one part of a two-step regimen, long approved by the Food and Drug Administration and currently the most prevalently used form of abortion care in the United States, with overwhelming evidence that it's safe and effective. Most Americans could look in their medicine cabinet where they will find medication prescribed by a doctor that they use on a daily basis. Mifepristone is no exception to that process. Monopoly is tied to so much history and so many memories for people that belongs to everybody. But I think that the myth of Monopoly does obscure a lot of realities about this country, about class, about race, about gender, about how our current, dare I say, game of capitalism is played and has been for centuries. So it ends up becoming this microcosm of the bigger story of this country. She's basically condoning it. It's not abuse. As I said in the last show, high school, uh, grades, was it middle school, middle school? Principal at Beacon Elementary sent an email to parents, Jacob's new dress for summer reading. And then we get into what isn't national news. New York forced and manipulated fifth grader to become transgender, causing suicidal ideation. Next one. Drag queen forced student to leave class for denying 73 genders. School teaches anal sex to 11-year-olds. I don't know if I can grab this video. It hasn't been letting me grab it. 
Yeah, we're going to play it. This, this is New York. Following an all-ages drag show featuring tickets for children and infants, let's bring in PragerU personality Aldo Barzoni, who was there at it last night. Aldo, great to, uh, Aldo, great to have you on. I want to play some of the sound. You got video and you got sound. I want to play one of the sound bites, and we'll get your response on the other side. So, Valora Von Tees, is That's that your name? Me, yes. And what were you doing out here tonight at the LA Zoo? Living my life, God damn it. Yes, absolutely. It was LA Pride, so we just showed up and we just thought we'd give the children a little something, a little something to snack on, you know what I'm saying? Give the children a little something to snack on. What was it like? I can tell you, Trace, that nothing about last night was family-friendly, despite what the host of this event would have you believe. This was an event where grown men were stripping in front of children. I spoke to one mother who was there with her six-year-old daughter. I saw multiple strollers with toddlers and infants in them. And this really isn't about whether or not I, I deem drag acceptable. It's about whether we should be exposing kids to it. There's many things in our society that we've deemed inappropriate and dangerous for kids to consume, like alcohol, porn, even R-rated movies. And we should be able to add to that list grown men stripping in scantily clad women's clothing to that in front of children. Yep. It was absolutely horrific, and it was very sexually charged. It's interesting to me because the Fresno Zoo, and by the way, these are, these are zoos that are owned and run by the city, right? These are taxpayer dollars. Fresno Zoo did the same thing, and they got pushback, and the L.A. Zoo decided, eh, so what? We're going to do it anyway. Well, the problem that we have with, with this is they're very strategic in the way that they market it. They market it under the guise of gay pride and gay rights because they know that anybody that criticizes it and comes out against it will be labeled homophobic or hateful or bigoted. But what in that clip and what I saw was nothing about pride. It was not about gay rights. This is about predatory adults that are sexualizing children. That's a teacher's classroom. So I really just don't even want to hear that this isn't on purpose. Because teacher forced girl to use male pronouns. Oklahoma teacher said, I got death threats because she helped him get banned books. She wanted to push the banned books. That should be the headline, not she got death threats, because she probably didn't. They all say they got death threats. It's like the instant thing after they fuck up. I'm the victim. No, the child was the victim. You have made the child the victim. And this is coming from the top. We're pushing it on scientists. We're pushing it in the school. We're pushing it in the media. Not headline. Antifa showed up with fucking ARs at a DC event where nobody showed up. Mm-mm. That's not the headline. That would be the headline. It was the inverse. I mean, let's be honest. And in National Women's Month, there you go. Yeah, KitchenAid. These grifters, because they're victims somehow, I don't know where the victim is. Oh, my God. They're so victimized. How? Where's the victimhood? Oh, I know where there's victimhood. In a Christian state, Kurt Cameron goes to read his religious book, 
And they got out-of-staters coming in. This is from Pink News. Remember, because they believe it's racist and homophobic to make people disclose that they have fucking HIV. Yeah. You, you should have to disclose that. I'm just saying... I missed one. Where did I miss it? I, I missed the one where it's it's in the UK and it's just like here. UK prisons are ruining lives, so why is the government obsessing over trans women? And then, of course, Lightfoot lost. And, of course, Lightfoot said it was racism. So we begin in Chicago, where Mayor Lori Lightfoot suffered a crushing re-election defeat in a race seen as a referendum on liberal crime policies. Lightfoot, once praised by the left as a political rock star for being the city's first black woman and openly gay mayor, is now the first mayor denied a second term, get this, in 40 years. Crime soared under Lightfoot's watch. Since 2019, murders jumped nearly 40% and car theft skyrocketed a whopping 140%. Meanwhile, a recent poll shows that an overwhelming number of Chicagoans say that the city is on the wrong track. But Lightfoot, well, she doesn't attribute her loss to any of that. Instead, she claims she was treated unfairly because she's a black woman in America. She conceded the race last night after coming in third and failing to advance to a runoff. We didn't win the election today, but I stand here with my head held high and a heart full of gratitude. And regardless of tonight's outcome, we fought the right fights and we put this city on a better path. No doubt about it. So that better path, Brian, included the highest homicide rate in 25 years, 63% of Chicagoans not feeling safe. It's one of the rare times where you lie in your concession speech. I mean, there's nothing to it, which he said. Also, oh, did you say 60? Did you say 60% think they're 63. on the wrong track? The other 40% have already left Chicago. Could right. be reached for comment. <laughs> the only thing now, they lead the nation in empty stores mm. because this yeah. one's beautiful city, uh, terrible winter, but beautiful city cannot get anyone to rent their commercial real estate because they can't have businesses. The quality of life have, dis- have disappeared. I mean, the Cubs even want to leave. This is- no, it's because you're a shitty-ass goddamn mayor. Who said you had the biggest dick in Chicago? I mean, that's case in point. She got her job because she's a black lesbian. And then she did nothing but play woke politics. The city went to shit in a handbasket. Jesse got attacked by Mega. And the scariest thing is I just spent an hour of the show talking about the scourge of trans stuff getting forced on our kids the exponential increase of 100 percent increase in just a few years of kids all of a sudden becoming non-binary and changing sex well there's also the bill weirs and cnn that are having kids have nightmares over climate but while we're here we got this news out of the National Snow and Ice Center in Colorado, that for the second year in a row, the South Pole is shrinking. The ice down here is shrinking. It's sea ice, so it's not affecting sea level rise, much the way that when the ice cubes in your glass uh, melt, they don't spill your drink. Uh, But that's very worrying because 
Antarctica is a continent surrounded by oceans, and that sea ice protects those ice shelves from unlocking all that ice, which if it dumps into the oceans in mass, would rearrange every city from Miami to Shanghai along the coast around the world. So what is troubling about this is the speed that it's declined. Just to give you some perspective, uh, in the early 2000s, it looked like Antarctica was growing even as the Arctic was shrinking in alarming ways, and scientists weren't sure why. In 2014, the sea ice around Antarctica, 7 million square miles. Now, less than a decade later, it's under 700,000 square miles. So that's a 90% drop, and they're just worried that this could be a, a tipping point that makes that vulnerable. And then on from there, it's, it's just uh, one domino after another. He had to go down to Argentina because, let's, let's fake it, face it. Man, I'm having a hard time reading today. Um... Let's let's face it. L.A. had fucking snow. I watched Fontana race. They had five feet of snow in the mountains. They never have that. So every time that happens, what what goes down? They have this huge. Oh, we got to We oh god. We're all gonna die. And lastly, for Matt in Oregon. No. Todd in Oregon, I'm sorry, Todd in Oregon sent me this. That's coming out of taxpayers and businesses. They're going to pay for the homeless. When we just covered last podcast, the fact that they're squatting and burning shit and a dude feels safer in Saigon. It's a goddamn disease. And if it isn't the trans, it's climate. If it isn't climate, it's a crime. If it's not the crime, it's something else. Yet more and more people get brainwashed by the media that just constantly, you're evil if you don't do this. And they're scared to be called evil, so they do this. They vote for this shit. With TikTok, media, institutions, every corporation pushing trans What kid wouldn't want that attention? What kid wouldn't be questioning? It's a confusing times, and especially females. Like I said on the last show, I'll repeat it again. The most awkward time is 10 to 13 for girls. I raised one. They don't know what they are. They're they're thinking they're supposed to already have boobs. They're, They're going through so much through puberty. It's worse than boys. It's like you walk in and go, oh, gee, I don't have nut hair. Or why don't I have back hair or chest hair? We, we don't think like that, but girls do. And when their body doesn't come out what they think they're supposed to be, not what they are, because it doesn't really matter, but the false perception of women put out by the media and corporations and fashion, in quotes, they do it. And then you put on top of it the fact that we are fucking ruining women's chances for jobs, for school, for sports, all to chase this agenda of turning kids into little activists. It's fucking disgusting. And back-to-back shows I have played Dudes wearing maxi pads and a chocolate company that thinks 
if they don't have a tranny representative, they'll get canceled. That's fucked up. And I can't say the pack and fudge. I got that off a guy. He says, at least we didn't see him packing the fudge. So we're going to go into a lighter fare, and then we're going to come into a military corner. Um, first soundbite is every launch by SpaceX and the launch of SpaceX today or yesterday. I, it's amazing. I'm not a sycophant of Elon Musk, but what he's done and created, and if you look, I, I challenge you to go look at the capsule and the video of the takeoff and then go watch Apollo 13. A movie where this phone had more computer power exponentially than what they had on board that computer. And they're using tablets to fly to space. Unfucking believable. Time launch for the instantaneous ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Engines full power and lift off. The screw stick. Go dragon. Go power. Now launching on Endeavour's third flight to the International Space Station. Vehicles pitching down range. One point. This is America, and before we started, I wanted to do a little Operation Anaconda, which was yesterday, 21 years ago. I slipped a year because I was so sick last year, I, I don't think I even covered it. This is March 13, 2002 at Bagram, last, first in, last out. That is day 11, or March uh, 11th, that'd be right, yeah, March 11th. And uh, that, and to the right, I'm the big guy on the right, the chubby dude. And behind me is Roberts Ridge. That's the actual mountain. <clears throat> and that's me day one in the compound. Oregon Nike bag in hand, <clears throat> full of blasting caps. And uh, 
It's just hard to believe it's been 21 years. Wanted to play a few sound bites. We're going to play uh, two minutes of Hell's Bells SF5 something or others AC130 video. A quick edit of my guys and then a spot from uh, my favorite TV spot of my family. And then we'll move into Military Corner. locations. We took fire from a ridge line in a compound, and the decision was pretty easy. Go down to the compound, take the compound. So immediately we, we sent a squad down there to assault that and secure it. So now in this room, we recovered approximately uh, 10 AK-47s out of here, about 40 magazines. They found that the fighters, as soon as the bomb started dropping, had done some ritual shaving of their beards or something and it had uh, grabbed their weapons and left and, and gone up high. There were teapots that were still hot, embers and coals that were still hot. They were left over from their fires and they left a whole bunch of other things like bomb-making materials and manuals and mortar tubes and everything else in that little camp. So we definitely surprised them and there were definitely no families there at all. I think it was a surprise for everyone involved. The tenacity and the ability of the enemy to stay and hold and to fight as aggressively as he did. I remember Colonel Wozinski said, don't get drawn into a firefight and get bogged down and get sucked into a fight that, that you don't need to get sucked into, either in the town or en route to your blocking position. Get up in the blocking position, get the high ground, get set, and, and Zia's going to come in and all these other forces are going to come sweeping in the valley. We, we stayed on mission other than the initial contact, but I, I think we had to do that just to get off the LZ so we can get into the positions we needed to occupy.
families of Fort Campbell soldiers who are still in Afghanistan fighting the war on terrorism. Sergeant Anthony Koch is with the 187 Rakasans in Afghanistan. Since he left in January, he and his soldiers have fought al-Qaeda terrorists in Operation Anaconda. Back home in Clarksville, Gigi Koch and her two children save every picture and letter he sends home and wait and worry about when he'll finally be home again. But they have confidence that he will be coming home safely. Been, he's been training for 17 years for this, so I have confidence in everything, everything that he does over there. He, he knows what he's doing. Sergeant Cook received the Bronze Star for his role in Operation Anaconda. Coming up tonight... Are their families holding up today? Well, like real troopers, Steve, but Memorial Day does have a special meaning for them. Today I visited with Gigi Koch and her two children, 14-year-old Brittany and 12-year-old Zachary. Their father, Sergeant Anthony Koch, has been in Afghanistan for almost six months. His company fought in Operation Anaconda. They were under fire and in the middle of intense combat for six days in the mountains of East, eastern Afghanistan. Some of his soldiers were injured, but they all made it out alive. Sergeant Koch was awarded the Bronze Star and Medal of Honor for his bravery in battle. He said that um, in Al-Qaeda... Um, soldier was running after him and he said that he had to make the decision of whether it was going to be him or the Al-Qaeda and um, he said that he knew at that minute um, what he had been training for for the last 17 years. Now the family hasn't heard from Sergeant Koch since Mother's Day. They say he's missed his son's baseball games and his daughter's graduation since he's been gone but they hope he'll be home sometime next month Steve. Yeah a lot of families thinking about those overseas today. Thanks for their soldiers will soon return home safely. Sergeant Anthony Koch is a member of the 187 Rakasans. News Channel 5's Dana Kay met him on her assignment to Afghanistan. Today, she talked to his family, who is eagerly awaiting the day when they can welcome home their war hero. This picture right here was the first day um, of Anaconda. Gigi Koch knows why Memorial Day is important. Her husband, Sergeant Anthony Koch, is in Afghanistan fighting the war on terrorism. I'd like to say hello to my family in Woodlawn, Tennessee. To my beautiful Sergeant Koch was one of the Fort Campbell soldiers we traveled to Afghanistan with in January. My daughter gave me this, and she says, whenever you're away, you can always point it home. He showed us the good luck charms he carries with him from his family. Back home, 14-year-old Brittany and 12-year-old Zachary miss their dad. I always wake up thinking, you know, is he okay? And when I, well, I get his next letter, and it's kind of scary because one day you could wake up and not even know that he's gone until you know someone comes to your house in the middle of the night. Take it off the hook. The Cokes wait for any word by phone or mail. Had no clue that when we landed, we did it next to 700 bad guys. We got lucky. Fight is moving south. Hope you are not too worried. Sergeant Koch's company was one of the first to come into close contact with al-Qaeda terrorists during Operation Anaconda. Jumped off the bird and it was cold. Um, first thing I saw was a mule running and I felt the altitude, 8,500 feet. His letters home about the mission tell how he and his soldiers survived six days of intense combat. Something about, I am thinking I will die, wish I could tell you I am okay. I prayed prayed every day that you will not worry or be scared. I hope you don't see the news reports. 
They treasure his bronze star and medal for valor. But all this family really cares about is having dad back home as soon as possible. What do you hope to hear next? That he's coming home. Yep. <laughs> that he's coming home. It would be nice. Sergeant Koch was one of the soldiers we met in Afghanistan who was always trying to keep up the spirits of his fellow soldiers. Gigi says he's the life of the party at home, too, so things have been kind of boring since he's been gone. Gigi and other Fort Campbell wives are planning a big welcome home party, they hope, for some time next month. That segment still puts tears in my eyes. A, my kids were so young. B, watching my wife having to go through that. Um... And I hate to play it again, but I just have to. I think it's important for anybody that listens. The audio of her letter from the Tennessean, I think, is the most inspirational thing for young kids. So a quick, quick playing of that letter as recorded uh, oh so long ago. And then we'll move on. This article is something that I'm proud of and angry about at the same time. Um, so to prologue it, um, we were hit, getting hit by a sniper attack um, in uh, Kandahar when we were in the airfield perimeter. And I was talking to this Leon Allgood from the Tennessean. He was over there embedded and he was trying to report on something one of our soldiers had said, and I was trying to talk the guy out of it. So as in all 100% security, because you get attacked moments, it went way too long, and me and him just ended up bullshitting, and it really wasn't based on the Army. It was life in general. Well, months later, my wife sends me a box. Inside the box is actually this article that was on the front of the Tennessean. This guy just went to my house, talked to the wife, and said, you know, he wanted to do an interview with her, and he was going with the family side. Now, it's probably because that's all I talked about was my family. Um, once again, when I got to Afghanistan, and, and my if I can get Lieutenant Dan on, um, or excuse me, Lieutenant Dan, Lieutenant Dave on, I was pretty homesick when we got over there. And when it first started, um, I'm going to play it if we get a segment with him. I actually made a bet that we were just going to guard MREs. We were never going to go into combat. We weren't going to do anything because it was all bull crap. And I just spent a year in Korea and I was homesick. And, you know, I, I was still doing my job, but on the private times on the side, you know, I'm sure my uh, platoon leader, and I was a platoon sergeant, he thought I was one gigantic pussy because I was always talking about the family. I, I was burned out because I'd been gone a year and just got back. So that's probably why this guy did this. But the article is something that I've used a lot with young women that are military wives. I have handed them this article during de many deployments when I was a manager or when somebody just had a conversation and they would bring up how it's really hard to be, you know, a wife of a soldier deployed. I, I handed this article and they realized that in the age of no internet, no phones, no communication, my wife did it while raising two kids and working a job and, and she just kept busy. She stayed on it. So it's always been a proud mo moment and I bring this in here for the family aspect and also kind of a an honor, you know, an honoring my wife that for 20 years she stood by me. Um, she, she supported me through thick and thin, all the deployments, all the times gone and it was a lot. You know, the last five years of my military career I was pretty much not home. 
Um, and that was my duty, not complaining about it, but for a family, it was kind of tough. So this is the article, and I want to read it once again. If, if this is boring, go ahead and flip past it. But this is for Gigi in Tennessee, and it is uh, dated March 10th, 2002. Once again, front page of the Tennessean. And the article is The Life of a Soldier's Wife by Leon Allgood. Spouses at home engaged in their own struggle. Clarksville, Tennessee. Before he left, she made her soldier husband a promise. Lush green grass would grow where now there is a brown carpet of weeds and dirt. By the time he comes back from Afghanistan, I told him we would have a real yard, Gigi Koch said, surveying the plot of ground where the family built a new home last year. She means to keep her promise to her husband, Sergeant First Class Anthony Koch, who departed for the front lines of the war in mid-January. That is why on her day off last week, she's an office manager for a local veterinarian. This veteran's army wife was elbow deep from morning to afternoon in potting soil and grass seed. Kentucky 31, she noted, it's supposed to produce a good stand. On another day, when war has not separated her and her husband, Gigi would probably not know the planting specification for the popular fescue variety, five pounds per 1,000 square feet, or how many tons of large rock are needed to line the ditch that border their property, 21. But you do what you have to do, she said. You learn how to fix things yourself. You just get in there and do it. Besides, said the mother of two middle schoolers, yard work is one way she copes with her extended absence from her husband. Although Gigi and hundreds of other army spouses at Fort Campbell did not raise their hands to swear allegiance and loyalty to the nation, did not promise to place themselves in harm's way in times of war, they too were combatants in this country's offensive efforts. They are unsung warriors on the front lines of domesticity, whose ascent to sacrifice is quiet like the suburbs, suburban streets many of them live on. Enemies lurk in their neighborhoods, too. Their enemies are loneliness and certainty, a phone ringing in the dark of night, and strange cars appearing on the driveway. That's my biggest fear, someone driving up to tell me that he's been killed, Gigi 33 said, her eyes focused on the street. She glances back towards the house to make sure her daughter, Brittany 13, and son 12 were not listening. Above the line of trees behind the houses across the road, a string of UH-60 Blackhawk helicopters skim the horizon five miles away. Their blades chopping the air with a staccato beat familiar to Gigi and her neighbors, most of whom are also Army families. Pilot, 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 she said, pointing to the different homes in the relative new subdivision. One of the several have been developed in the rural Montgomery County community of Woodlawn. We like it here. This is where we want to stay when he finishes out his 20 years. Sergeant Koch has three and a half years to go. Then I'll get another job he can retire from, she said. A job that will keep him home. The couple met in Anchorage, Alaska, her hometown. He was an 18-year-old private from Beaverton, Oregon, away from home on his first assignment following boot camp when he spotted Gigi at a nightclub. She remembered the date, September 11, 1986, even before last year's terrorist attack, but I'll never forget it now. Their meeting was love at first sight. Oh, definitely. He was the one. We were married six months later on April 2, 1987. We didn't want it. On April 1st, didn't want to have to say April Fool's for an anniversary, she said. Even so, Gigi said she was young and naive about the life of a soldier's wife. Back then, I didn't have any idea what I was getting into. Now I don't know anything else. 
In nearly 15 years of marriage, the couple has moved five times from Alaska to Oklahoma to California to Washington State to South Carolina and finally to Tennessee. In addition, her husband has been shipped to Korea twice for stays of a year or more. The first time, their children were small. The second was in 2000 when they were in elementary school. On both occasions, husband and wife agreed being separated was better than uprooting the family to a foreign country. We talked about that a long time. It was a hard decision. But when you're in the Army, that's what you have to do, she said. She marked a second Korea assignment by overseeing construction of their new home. He said, whatever I decided was all right with him. The only thing he didn't want was white siding. That was fine with me, she said. <clears throat> their single-story home was a large deck overlooking woods and in his tan. Sergeant Koch returned to Fort Campbell from the Far East last June. Several months later, he was transferred from the 3rd Battalion of the 187th Infantry Regiment and 2nd of the 187th, a distinction that wouldn't have made any difference if September 11th had been just another day. The 2nd got their deployment orders, while the 3rd is still waiting to go, she said. Six month, months after her husband returned home after a year-long absence, he was shipped out again, gone now for an undetermined tour of duty. It was tough. I'm not going to say it wasn't. It's tough being away from each other for that long. I was just getting used to him being home, and he's gone, but that's part of it. The empty seat at the kitchen table is not the worst aspect of a long-distance marriage, however. The hardest thing is not knowing exactly where he is and what he's doing, Gigi said. His letters and emails home are not much assistance because he can't reveal specifics of the unit's mission. The sergeant's last mail home, dated late February, indicated it would be his last for a while. He said, by the time she received this letter, you'll know what's going on. Last weekend, when word broke out of ground and air fight against Al-Qaeda and Taliban militia in the mountains near Gardez, she understood. Since then, Gigi has followed news reports closely, peering into the back room of televised images, hoping for a glimpse of a familiar face. As fighting continues in that section of the country under harsh conditions of high altitude and bitter cold temperatures, she reminds herself of the kind of soldier she knows her husband to be. I have total confidence in him. He can handle anything. He'll watch out for his men. I just want everyone to be safe, she said. Every week, she mails them goodie box packed inside or such items as chewing tobacco, candy, tea, hot chocolate, and popcorn. I sent one last week. I'm sure he hasn't gotten it yet. I'm not sure when he will, she acknowledged. But even without mail, Gigi is certain she's communicating with her faraway husband. When, whenever they are separated overnight, they make a pact to say I love you aloud at certain times each day, even though each is incontinence away from the other. For Gigi, that time is 8 p.m as she finishes up supper and helps the kids with homework. For her sergeant husband in Afghanistan, the appointed time is 6.30 a.m. It's just a little way we can connect and think of each other, she said. Probably sounds silly, but it helps to get through the day. Getting through these days without late night phone calls and a strange car in her driveway is all this soldier's wife desires. She waits patiently for the grass to grow and her husband to come home. Yeah, I don't read that because I probably couldn't do it much better than I did then without getting teary-eyed. So let's move into more positive fucking shit. That's from that fucking band. Who are these motherfucking Koreans? Uh, J-Hope, second band from ETS to enlist. And I still think it's pretty amazing all these years later that Koreans still got to serve. They don't have a choice. Air Force is once again thinking about getting rid of the A-10 Warthog, and I just tell them to fucking stop. Unless you replace it, I don't know why you would do that. I just don't know why you do it. 
Here's an article that's in the military section, but I just thought it was really fucking cool. This is a sealed bunker in Finland, and it was completely sealed and ready for the end of the world. The idea was, at least in the beginning of the Cold War and when this was constructed, that a war um, would fall in three phases. And the first phase was considered the more serious, and it was supposed to be about 30 days. And actually, most people thought that the war would be settled within these 30 days. If you could manage to hold the country for this first period, then you probably had a chance to remain in, in control and to win the war. So this is built to house the government during these crucial 30, 30 days. This area is what you would call the map room, and I would say that it was the heart of the building, so to say. It was um, where the government was supposed to be gathered and to take all the serious decisions. You can see about everything here. It, it is just as if they sort of left rooms when the Cold War stopped and then abandoned the place and went out. So you can see yeah, paper clips, paper, furniture, um, uh, well, food is not preserved here, <laughs> but, but all the plates and the cups and uh, it, well, everything um, carpets, uh, pillows, you name it. You could say that. Pretty freaking cool. Redstone Arsenal, still cleaning up World War II shit. That's probably pretty bad. I'm just taking it. Why mortars are becoming increasingly important in the modern battlefield. As a guy who spent six hours getting mortared, hiding in wadis in the Shillicott Valley, I think we learned that lesson in 2002. But for whatever reason, people just don't, they just don't think. I think it's a load problem. I think that's what a, a lot of it is. You know, you're trying to tailor loads and... When you're a light infantryman and you're going out with everything on your back. Remember, I was just a platoon sergeant. But I was the platoon sergeant. And I would be carrying up to 100 pounds. Which is crazy when you really look at the loads my guys were carrying. A machine gunner. I mean, everybody's carrying 100 rounds of 7.62 length. And drums of 5.56, which I guess is gone now. But with the new systems, hell, it's probably even more. Because um, you're carrying a lot of ammo and you're carrying a lot of um, grenades and claymores, your water, your food. But a 60 millimeter mortar in a platoon where everybody's carrying one round probably makes a lot of sense. I'm just saying. Why Afghanistan's security forces collapse? New study. Well, that's pretty simple. We played fuck, fuck goose with this since we invaded Iraq. And then Biden just wanted to get out. He just wanted to get out because he had more important things like axing the aviators, which is the wrong slide up right now. They were going to be army aviators, 
But for whatever reason, they decided to go woke, and so they literally had the guys that had practiced for it got shit-canned so they can do all women and say, look at us. We're the most diverse administration ever on planet Earth. Then you get my son-in-law's old assignment, Minot, four subordinates of Minot, no specific reasons for the firing. It's woke. You can guarantee it's fucking woke. Marine Corps gets rid of Scout Sniper. There's nothing in there either. Lawmakers bashing woke. And of course, the way the military times, army times, air force time, and every other time carried it, it's a manufactured scandal. Well, look at this. The reality is that Fort Bragg was originally named for the guy before he was in the Confederate. He was one of the greatest guy. He instructed artillery. But we're going to change it to Camp Liberty. We're going to change a boat named Chancellorville, which cost millions of dollars, by the way, to rechange everything. Nobody knew that was for a Confederate one win. They just thought it for was the city. Nobody knew that. This one kind of makes sense. I saw this, and I'm a pro-gun guy. But the suicides are really bad now. So they're asking local places, the bases, because they do sell weapons, not to sell 25 and below. And that's not a bad idea. Former candidate, and and we still haven't got down who did it, because our media doesn't care. Where the fuck is the sly? There it is. Remember where they gave away his info as a... uh, counter fucking bullshit they wanted to fucking get the guy so they went in and did the dirty deed on his record and handed it to his opponent well that's against the law but because the doj isn't going to go back after blm antifa jane's revenge or any other thing because they just only go after pro-life people who are so violently praying on a sidewalk yeah that that's that's more important This one, I don't give a fuck what you say. It has nothing to do with flag etiquette. The article is written up anywhere I could find it. Flag etiquette. That because the flag isn't right, it's not proper etiquette. Blah, blah, with fucking periods of blah. Well, the reality is, it's because this administration hates the flag because their voters hate the flag. So now we're not going to have flag demonstrations. But it is important that if you're going to go get an abortion, you don't have to tell anybody you're getting an abortion. So now females are just going to take abortions and you can't ask them or take leaves to say they're getting an abortion. And you won't be able to ask, why did you take leave? Disturbing finding. There's not enough police at VA hospitals. And remember, there's a lot of suicides still going on at VA hospitals. A lot. And no, that wasn't a TikTok edit. Uh, I've been sitting down here for quite a while. <laughs> I, had a, I did a freaking smoothie and I had to run and go to the bathroom. So excuse the uh, quick edit. You know, it's one of the things about TikTok that drives me crazy um, is how they all edit the shit out of everything. Everything's just like, eh, 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 eh. but anyway. Sadly, we have some fallen with the journey home, Ukraine. 
starting to get suing at veterans' homes. They're not taking care of people, which is horrible. And that's the fourth training death in 14 months for the Navy SEALs, which is um, we got a, a shoot packing problem. That's that's just fucking not good, man. That's like the opposite of good. Which brings us to our This is America. The first soundbite you're going to see is Sonny Hostin in The View blaming conservatives and xenophobity, xenophobity, how about phobia, for why um, there wasn't a lab link theory wasn't believed. It's going to run into a kind of a long soundbite. I'm just going to play. It's like a six-minute soundbite. I'm going to cut it in half. Then I'm going to explain where I found that. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Trump unleashed this xenophobia. He, st- he stopped allowing Chinese people to come to the country. He then started calling it the... Um, don't even say it. Don't yeah, even he say called it. it he something, being... and he kept on saying, yeah. China, China, and doing yeah. this thing yeah. where I was even concerned as someone who had lost family members right. for Manny to even bring it up. And that is really sad. The last guy before Biden said anything about this he made it about asian people and i'm sure john stewart didn't realize that that's what was happening because i'm sure he didn't know what was going on all over the country with asian folks getting smacked and hit and people saying stuff to them about bringing the disease here i mean this was this was what was happening and if you know who had not started it with that had he not made it about Yeah. 
sky. Okay, where do you think that came from? Well, here's the big reveal. Manipulated. I fucking shit you not. Adam Kinziger, break free, tired of the political extremes. A guy that is nothing but political extremes. He had the fucking balls to tweet. Division is the only way the extremes can dominate our politics and why proven durable solutions to the challenge facing our nation feel impossible. It doesn't have to be this way. The first step is to break free. You push January 6th. You still push January 6th. And that fucking thing you push January 6th. Every day you tweet about stuff like this. This is all over the place. A disconnect. Yeah, you're an elitist who got a college education. We didn't. And to show how much of a disconnect and why they're so upset, this is CNN's fucking ratings. CNN hit a new demo low, not seen in over 10 years. CNN prime time demo averaged 122,000 viewers. While still above MSDNC's 119, it's the smallest audience since 2013. CNN's 89,000 total day demo viewers was its worst showing since 2012. CNN saw a 41% drop in total day viewers from January, where Fox dropped 35%. CNN New Morning Show this morning saw its lowest numbers. It's bringing in 360,000 viewers, while Fox and Friends is 1.2. There's still 800,000 that... Tune in for Mojo. Maybe people are breaking free. I don't know. That's a USA Today guy. I got it up here. I'm not going to cover it. Because our buddy, Will Carlisle, struck again. Before we get there, I want to hit two more bad things that happened. Number one, C-SPAN wouldn't cover the border. Their excuse is because Democrats didn't come. So we're not going to cover a Republican event, even though they air it every fucking second of the show trial. And then this article is all over the place, too. CBS, NBC, ABC. You know, I feel bad for people right now. I'm not saying I do not feel bad for people. It is some tough fucking times. I mean, I'm unemployed. I had to sell a car just to make ends meet. And now we're comfortable, but we're not rich. And like we can go do shit. And every time I do groceries, I go, what the fuck, man? What the fuck, man? What the fuck? But how long are we going to finance people? This isn't a communist country. We're America. So the worst thing I saw, which is the reason why we have this segment, Will Carlisle and the... Sedition Hunters struck. Here is a podcast excerpt from the USA Today, and we'll discuss. More than two years after the January 6th Capitol riot, hundreds of identifiable people remain free. So why is that? I spoke with USA Today national correspondent for extremism and emerging issues, Will Carlos, to find out. 
Will, thanks for hopping on the show. Thanks for having me on. So you reported that lots of January 6th rioters remain free, even though they're wanted by the FBI. How many people are we talking about? Well, it's not just that they're wanted, it's that they've also been conclusively and definitively identified. At least that's the claims of these online investigators who call themselves the sedition hunters. They say, look, the FBI has this website that lists all of these hundreds of people. I think it's about 600 or so people who are wanted in relation to crimes committed on January 6th. And these groups claim that they've identified at least 100 of them positively to the FBI, sent them their names and titles and and employment and all the rest of it. And that they also claim they've identified at least hundreds of others who are not even listed on the FBI's wanted website, but who they say are on camera or on video committing crimes on January 6th. Wow. So lots of people that we're talking about here. So this obviously begs the question, Will, why are they still free? Well, we looked into that, and there are several different reasons. I think chief among them, a former federal prosecutor that we talked to said, look, just because they haven't been arrested yet does not mean that they're not going to be arrested. Since the beginning of the year, we've seen a few dozen people arrested. And when you look at the charging documents and you look at the indictments, it says that they were first interviewed, in some cases, in the days after January 6th. So these cases take a long time to build. What's curious about it is that the FBI is still kind of saying, like, these people are wanted, we need information about them. And of course, these researchers have say, look, we, we've told you who they are, right? We've, we've told you a, a year, in some cases, almost two years ago, this is, you know, Jane Smith, and she lives at this address, and this is what she did. And here's a whole portfolio of evidence. There are some other reasons. I mean, in this country, obviously, we have a, a constitutional right to a speedy trial. And what that means is the moment you charge somebody, you have to start hitting deadlines. For example, you have to indict them within 30 days. And that's an immense strain and pressure on our judicial system and our legal system. And so it's a case of resources in a lot of these cases. And so, Will, what do we expect in the coming months and years? Could arrests still come? Are these case is going to go right up against the statutes of limitations. What's the timeline look like coming up? Yeah, that's a great question. So the the prosecutor we talked to said, look, in normal circumstances, it's not at all unusual for people to be arrested, you know, two, three days before their statute of limitation runs out. And that's simply because there's a queue, there's a line, and these people are in that line. And, you know, because of the realities of, of what I just talked about in terms of um, the building these cases and bringing these cases, often it goes right up against the wire. So if that holds true, I think absolutely we're going to see these cases continue to come in over the course of the next, I think it's three years that they have to bring these cases. They'll continue to come through and probably more people who aren't even on that wanted list will come through. So it's just this weird situation where like, we know who these people are, there's video evidence of them, you know, very much looks like they're committing federal crimes, they're wanted by the FBI, but yet they still walk free more than two years later. And what are lawmakers in Congress doing at this point when it comes to January 6th and its aftermath? So there was additional funding provided last year to increase the resources for U.S. attorneys and specifically to 
bring these cases against January 6th. Now, on the other hand, you now have a Republican-controlled Congress that definitely really doesn't want to be talking about January 6th in the next two years as we run up against the next presidential election, particularly if they have a candidate in the form of Donald Trump, who, you know, as far as many people are concerned, is is largely responsible for or at least encouraged uh, the events of January 6th. So the Republicans in Congress are doing everything they can to try and kind of, if not quash these investigations, to slow them down or to stymie them. My sources in the DOJ and FBI say that's not going to make any difference. They're going to continue along this track until everybody is brought to justice. But We have prosecuted nobody for burning down federal courthouses, police districts, or police uh, precincts, the whole nine yards. We, we didn't do anything. When the O'Biden, uh, the O'Biden, which is pretty accurate, the Biden administration came in, they, they dropped all charges on those people. All of them. But Gannett, which owns every local paper in the country, has sedition hunters employed. Now, the only thing that's positive is that dude in the mask is Will Carlisle's. He ain't got many followers. I don't see anybody but other sedition hunters actually um, responding to his tweets. So he doesn't have much of an outreach. But that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Share with family friends. Go to SoundCloud Flyover Politic with a K. Rumble 482467. And email me at foppodcast at gmail.com. I know this is a very long one. I promise I'll get back to uh, hour 30. We've covered a lot, but the Dylan Mulvaney stuff was just, I had to cover this trans epidemic. It's some scary-ass shit because it's sponsored by the Democratic Party, our media, every institution, and our corporations are just, just fucking so in the belief that, you know, 1.5, even if it's 2% now with all these kids, are going to cancel them. 98% of America is really worried right now. The shit's getting out of control, especially when you're forcing it. You're just forcing it on our children. And that's just fucking unacceptable. We're going to go with a podcast on Sunday, 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 5, March, year of our Lord, 2023. We'll be back to politics. And I'll play a couple excerpts from old podcasts just to do it. Seven years. 675 shows. And I thank every one of you who are still listening. There always seems to be a core of about 25 to 50 people that I notice. I don't know how many other people listen because the statistics and SoundCloud is fucking horrible. Um, I thank you all. It's good therapy for me, but I hope it at least provides some entertainment for you. So disconnect from your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeahs, And tune back in Sunday for the next show. Thanks for listening. Take care.